All right. So for this Sunday, we will be continuing our sermon series in a hopeful, healthy church, which is a study of First and Second Thessalonians. And this week, uh, we will be focusing on Chapter Four. And Pastor Dominic has been leading us through this series. And uh, today, I'd like to open us up in a word of prayer as we begin. So, let's go in word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the gift of your word. We pray that you would illuminate the scriptures today, that you would open up our eyes, and that you would open up our ears so that we can hear your words revealed to us through your scripture. And that you'd use me as a vessel of your Holy Spirit to help communicate your word. And that anything that is not from you, we pray that it would fall away like chaff in the wind. And that you would guide us as we study your scriptures together. We love you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'd like to invite everyone to open up their Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. All right, while everyone's opening up their Bibles... Who wrote the book of Thessalonians? Paul. Great. All right. What, what, what town or what city is the, the book written to? What church? What city are they located in? Thessalonica. <laughs> Dominic has trained you well. I, on the other half, will use uh, Thessalonica. So... Not to create unnecessary division, but let's go into this. Uh, we'll start at chapter 4. We'll start at verse 1. As for other matters, brothers and sisters, we instructed you how to live in order to please God, as in fact you are living. Now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. It is God's will that you should be sanctified and that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in a passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God, and that in this matter no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister, the Lord will punish all those who commit such sins, as we told you and warned you before. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject a human being, but God, the very God who gives you his Holy Spirit. Now about your love for one another, we do not need to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. And in fact, you do love all of God's family throughout Macedonia. Yet we urge you, brothers and sisters, to do so more and more. And to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, you should mind your own business and work with your hands just as we told you so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders, and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. All right, so we're going to start with the first point. We're going to start it, off, start it right off. So that our first point is to connect with God. 
So the first part of this section in chapter 4 primarily deals with how we as believers, we in Christ, are to live. And this section more so talks about how we are to walk with Christ. Paul continues in the letter and tells them that they are doing a good job of living the lives that are pleasing to God. And that they are to do so more and more. And it is clear in Paul's statement in verse 2 that he has already given them instructions how to live a life that is pleasing to him. And we know that Paul helped found this church in Thessalonica. And so he's preached to this church before. So he's just telling them, keep up the good work. Keep living lives that are pleasing to God. And it's interesting that he says to live lives pleasing to God more and more. Because within our relationship with God, we are called to continually to grow in our relationship with him. We are to continue to grow in our relationship with Jesus, and we can always grow further in our relationship with God. This concept should be encouraging to us, but it can also be challenging at the same time. I'll continue that thought in a moment. But Paul continues in verse 3 and says that it is God's will that you should be sanctified. Paul then goes on a list to, he lists various things that they should do to be sanctified. But the word sanctified or sanctification is not a word that's used in most day-to-day conversation. Would, would you agree with me? Do you guys use it in your workplace, sanctified all the time? No, I don't think so. But the word sanctification is defined as an action or a process that frees us from sin, that makes something holy and set apart. Remember, God is holy. God is set apart. It is his will and his desire for people, for his church, to be sanctified, to be made holy, to be made set apart. This concept of sanctification is not new. It started in the Old Testament, and an example can be found in Leviticus chapter 11, 44, where God says to his people, I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourselves and be holy, because I am holy. So contextually in this passage in Leviticus, there are a list of things that God says for them not to do, like not eating eagles or avoid flying insects, or walk on all fours, and to avoid blood. And so essentially those things would make them unclean. And that's kind of a guarantee for these things to happen. So God set a prescribed things for them to do if they did those things that made them unclean. And, and that they had to do those things to be clean in order to be in God's presence. So you fast forward to the New Testament, and Jesus changed everything. Through his death and through his resurrection, as believers in Jesus, we no longer have to do those prescribed rituals because of Jesus' work and the, and the Holy Spirit dwells inside of us those who call on Jesus as their Savior. And I think that there are two words that, can, that need to be clarified here. They work together, but they often get confused. They're the words 
sanctification, and then justification. They're both words that are used in church and they're used in the Bible. And it can be, it can be confusing as to what they mean or to confuse the two definitions of the word. So justification is the work that God did for us on the cross. We put our faith in Jesus for the work that he did for us. He died for our sins. It is because of the work that Jesus did that we are declared righteous in the sight of God. Right? This is the courtroom metaphor where God is the judge and we are the defendant that has been found guilty of our sins. And that it is through the work that Jesus did on the cross. He paid the penalty for our sins. And through the work that he did, God looks at us through Jesus. And he doesn't see us, but he sees Jesus. And that we are declared righteous because of the work that Jesus did for us. That we have a right standing before him. And really, a more simple definition of justification is just as if I had not sinned. So that's a more simple definition of just as if I had not sinned. Whereas sanctification is the work that God does in us with our cooperation to make us more free from sin. Sanctification, the work that God does in us with our cooperation to free us from sin. Or I like to say that sanctification helps us to look more like Jesus. And sanctification is a process that takes time, and over time, you, you come to know Jesus in the way that you act, in the way that you think looks differently. So I look at myself 10 years ago. My 23-year-old self looks differently than my 33-year-old self. And that's through disciplines of reading the Bible on a consistent basis, regularly meeting with a group of believers to go over Scripture and how it applies to my life. And these are things that I've done consistently over time that have shaped and impacted who I am. And they are things that help to grow in my relationship with God. Right? There are also life circumstances that can pop up. And it is our response to those things that help to sanctify us, that help us to shape us to be more like Jesus. An example of this that I've heard from other pastors is that a fast track to sanctification is getting married, and expanding your family by, by having or adopting children. These things are incredibly difficult, but they are things that are some of the most rewarding things that can happen within our lives. What is one of the most, what is the, the first thing that you learn in marriage? Is that first it's God, then your spouse, and then yourself. And then once you have kids, you learn that it's God, spouse, kids, and then yourself. But it's like you are the last part in that process. I call marriage and having kids also the fast track to the de-selfification process. So the de-selfification process. Um, Microsoft Word kept telling me that there's those little, like, you know, those little red squiggly lines under the word. It kept telling me that it was wrong, but then I figured out that if you right-click the word, you can add it to, your add it to the dictionary. So 
I just want to say I'm a pretty big deal this past week. I added a word to the English language. <laughs> but so this is the same concept that we see in Galatians 5, where Paul tells us to live life according to the Spirit, to serve one another in love, and that those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So just as a clarification once again, justification is the work that God does for us. All we have to do is place our faith in the work that is already done. And then sanctification is a process. It's the work that God does in us with our cooperation. Sanctification is what God does in us. Now, getting back to the text in 1 Thessalonians, when Paul is saying that God, it is God's will or desire that we should be sanctified, Paul is addressing the church and the believers there. He then starts to list off various things that they should avoid. He says that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in a passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God. And in this matter, no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or a sister. Paul is saying, Paul is saying here that those who are living a sanctified life should completely avoid sexual immorality. For the word body in verse 4, Paul uses the Greek word skuos, which means a vessel or a jar, a container that holds something. And it is thinking of ourselves as people, as vessels, as jars. We can fill ourselves with things that are sinful or continually fill ourselves with the Holy Spirit and grow closer to Jesus. A life of sin is not compatible with a life of holiness. As vessels and jars, we cannot be filled with sin and holiness at the same time. Oil and water do not mix no matter how hard you try. The Minnesota Vikings and the Super Bowl are completely incompatible. <laughs> but, sorry, Phil. Sorry, I apologize. When Paul is writing about sexual immorality, this passage, he's not talking just about physical sexual immorality, but it's sexual immorality of the heart. And we can see this when he writes, not in a passionate lust like the pagans. I think that this is crucial and key to understand because practically, you and God are the only ones who know what is going on in your heart. Sexual immorality of the heart is a slow rot that can take years to build up before more outward signs appear. It is always so important for ourselves to know how we are doing as individuals. Doing self-checks. What are we watching on television? What are we watching on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, whatever it might be? What we consume influences the way we think and respond to things. I have a friend who loves scary movies, though he complains all the time that he has nightmares at night. 
Right? My immediate response is, well, you should probably stop watching those scary movies and those nightmares would probably stop. But this is all relating back to the vessel and jar concept. What we fill ourselves with will absolutely influence the way that we think and respond to things within our lives. And practically, there are a couple steps that we can take as believers to follow what Paul says in this passage. So the first one is to connect with God. I know you're hearing that one a lot. But that is to read the Bible, pray, listen to scripture, or listen to worship music. You also listen to scripture on your phone as well. But go out on a nature walk and experience God's creation. I know that there are some people who experience God when they're out on a frozen lake and they cut hole in a hole in it ice and they throw a lure inside the water. I mean, that's not my cup of tea. But there are also people that say that they have experienced God the most when they're sitting in a deer stand and that it is just so peaceful and tranquil out there, out in the wilderness, free from all the distractions that are distracting them. They can get away from the busyness of life. And they can truly experience God in an undistracted environment in his creation. Connecting with God is a way that helps you to fight sin in your own life. The next one is to connect with others. In a fight against sin, meeting with other believers is so crucial, which we will talk about in a moment. I just want to finish up this section first. So Paul says that there are consequences for not following these instructions. If you follow a life of sexual immorality, the Lord will punish all those who commit such sins, as we told you and warned you before. Remember, he's writing to a group of believers here, and he is saying that there are consequences for not living a life that is consistent with what we say we believe. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Right? God calls us into a sanctified life, a life that is pleasing to him. He calls us into a life that looks more and more like Jesus. And then Paul concludes this section with saying, hey, you're not hurting my feelings if you don't follow these words, but if you are ignoring these words, you are rejecting God for not taking these instructions. So we're going to move on to verses 9 and 10, and our next point is to connect with others. Verse 9 and 10. Now about your love for one another, we do not need to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. And in fact, you do love all of God's family throughout Macedonia. Yet we urge you, brothers and sisters, to do so more and more. Paul then changes gears in this verse, Right? He goes into more of a happier tone. He's encouraging them and tells them that they are doing a great job, loving the people in your church and also the region, which is Macedonia. He just says, keep it up. In fact, I just encourage you to keep doing it more and more. Paul is just emphasizing the importance of being a part of a church community. Pastor Dominic the other week said that there's a difference between going to church, and belonging to a church, right? When you belong to a church, it is such a beautiful thing. 
Whereas when you just go to church, some weeks it can just be a burden just to go to church. That is where we as a church are there for each other. When we're, we're they're there for each other when we're going through those tough times, when we're going through the valleys of life. But then we're there with each other when we're having great times, when we're in those mountaintop experiences. And if you're sitting here today and you're thinking to yourself that you're wanting to become a part of this church community and move past to the just going to church, I would highly advise you to get plugged into a connection group here that meets here at the church. As Pastor Dominic said, there are quite a few groups that meet here on Sunday morning right before the church service, and there are more who meet throughout the week. And if you're interested in joining one of those groups, look through the bulletin and see if there's one that fits your needs, or just talk to me after church. I'll be glad to get you plugged into one. But not only does joining a group help you belong to the church, but it helps you in your relationship with God, right? As we discussed before, connecting with God helps you to defeat sin in your life, but meeting with a group of believers also does that as well. That is done when you connect with others in an honest and authentic way. Meditating on scriptures with each other and praying for one another. When we pray with other believers, it helps us to grow closer with God, but it also helps us to grow closer in our relationships with each other. So here in the worship ministry, which I help oversee, is we have worship rehearsals here on Wednesday evenings. And after we're done with rehearsals, we gather as a team to pray for each other. We pray for the various requests. We pray for our church family. And we pray for the church service on Sunday. And we also just pray for our community, the new people who come here. We pray that they would feel welcomed here on Sunday mornings. And we also just pray that those who come in would come to know Jesus as their Savior. Out of all the work that I do here, that is one of the most meaningful times for me. And it's also the most important work that we do here as a church. Prayer is so key if we want to see people grow in their relationship with Jesus, if we want to grow more united as a church, if we want to see people to come to know Jesus as their Savior, prayer is the ultimate tool. Which then moves on to our last point in verses 11 and 12, to connect others with God. Lastly, Paul says in verse 11 to Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. You should mind your own business and work with your hands, just as we told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. Paul calls us to live quiet lives, to work with our hands, and then what is the end goal of that? It is to win the respect of outsiders to win the respect of unbelievers, and then ultimately to see them come to know Jesus. The way that we work, the way we do things in our walk with God is seen by unbelievers. This is how we respond to people, how we are responding to life circumstances. 
are we showing the fruits of the Spirit to those people who are around us? Right, and we just uh, read off the fruits of the Spirit that are found in Galatians 5 and reflect on them. Are you being loving towards those who are around you? Are you remaining joyful in all circumstances? Do people see the peace inside of you that transcends all that they can understand? Do people notice that you are a patient person, or would they say the opposite? Would you be regarded as a kind person in your workplace? Pertaining to goodness, do you do, you do the right thing even when no one is watching? Would people look at you and say that they would love to have that kind of faith that they see in you? Are you gentle in your responses to people? Would you be described as someone who has self-control or have the ability to control yourself in challenging situations? Doing all these good works are not a way to earn yourself into heaven. Right? As discussed before, we are justified through God, through the work that Jesus did on the cross, and that is after we place our faith in him. Pastor and theologian R.C. Sproul states that in the believer, it is the evidence of the fruit of the Spirit that is the mark of progress in sanctification. Let me say that again. It is the evidence of the fruit of the Spirit that is the mark of our progress and sanctification. Remember, sanctification is the work that God is doing in us with our cooperation to make us more like Jesus, to make us more holy. Are you following what I'm saying here? Our walk with God... Our walk with Christ changes us, changes the way that we interact with each other. And outsiders will see those fruits, the changes that have happened in us. So people don't see us, they see Christ in us. They see the Holy Spirit in us. That is the goal and that is what we strive for, is to be more like Christ, to be more like Jesus. Right? We want people to see Jesus and not us. I want to make a small but a very important point. We do not do good moralistic things because it makes us look better. Or if they see me do this action, people will think more highly of me. God hates a prideful heart, and we can see that in Proverbs 16.5. There are a group of people, there are a group of people in the New Testament. They were called the Pharisees. So the Pharisees prided themselves in the strict observance of the law. They prayed the loudest and the loftiest of prayers. They made sure that everyone knew what they gave to the temple, and they made sure that it was seen, and they made sure that people saw what they gave. 
They just wanted to make sure that everyone knew how great they were, how upstanding they were, how close they were to God. Do you guys remember the many statements that Jesus had to say against the Pharisees? In Matthew 15, 8, Jesus says to them, These people honor me with their lips, but they are far from me. Do not be a Pharisee. We want people to see Jesus, not us. So I have a story I want to share. When I was about 17 or 18 years old, I was at Guitar Center with a friend who is not a Christian. We are in a band together. But we had been friends since childhood, and we were out playing drums and guitar at Guitar Center. But we were driving back to his house, and there was probably a couple of inches of snow on the road. And while I was driving, I noticed that there was a car that had slid off the road. And the person was trying their best to just push the car back on the road, but they were struggling. So my immediate reaction was to pull off, pull up to the side of the road, put on my flashers. There weren't that many cars, so it wasn't really dangerous. Um, so we helped the person push their car back on the road, and we just went on our way. And didn't really think of it that much. Just went on. Nothing was said. So you fast forward about 10 years. I went to a New Year's Eve gathering, and that same friend was there. And we started talking, and he told me that he started attending church. And he said that he was open to the idea of Christianity, in which growing up, we had a lot of conversations with our friends about faith and those sort of things. And, but out of all those conversations that we had, he pointed out to that one story. I almost forgot about that story. And so he pointed to that one story of us p pushing that car out of the ditch. Like he's just like, it was that moment that his perspective on Christians changed. Because he, he's just like, a normal person wouldn't just pull off to the side of the road and just push, help push the car back on the road. And it was that, that thing that helped him, point him to be, at least be open to the idea of Christianity. Right? He's, he's, not, he's, not a, he's not a Christian yet, but I still pray for him. And just more so, I'm just sharing the story to be an encouragement. Because I was friends with him for at least 10 years. And then it took him another 10 years for him to even tell me that one random thing that happened that opened the door for him to following Jesus. Right? And we just talked about it in Sunday school. We talked about uh, 1 Corinthians 3. And it's just how we all play different roles, right? Some of us plant the seeds. Some of us water the seeds. And we all play different roles with help bringing people to Jesus, right? Then that's just the beautiful analogy of the body of Christ and how we all play different parts within this. But in closing, only you and God know where your heart is. Are you far from him? Is there something in your life that is causing separation from him? Pastor, theolo Pastor and theologian John Owen had a quote that pertains to sin. Be killing sin or it will be killing you. Let me say that again. 
Be killing sin, or it will be killing you. Actively participate in things that will, prov- that will help you to combat sin. Connecting with God through prayer, music, nature. Connect with others through a connection group here at the church. Or make it a habit to get coffee with another believer where you can talk about life with each other. And then you know that the people will see the fruits of the Spirit in your walk with Jesus. And that it is not for people to see how great we are, but it's for them to see Christ in us and how great he is. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for the gift of your word. Lord, pray that you would help us as we actively combat sin within our lives, Lord Jesus. We pray for your sanctifying work in us. We pray that you would help us as individuals, that you would help us as a church here, Maple Plain Community Church, and just globally, Lord Jesus. Sanctify us, work in us, make us more holy, make us more like you. Lord, and help us as a church, help us, as our mission and our goal to see others come to know you and see others come into relationship with you and receive the forgiveness of sins and the newness of life that is found in you. Be with us, O Lord. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.